afterwards, I wanted to um, speak to you guys, so don't rush out at the very end. I just wanted to make a few announcements about some exciting things that are now confirmed for Salt. So, yeah, Thank you very, very much, Jackie. Thank you, everyone, for being here. It's a uh, pleasure and honor to be back at Sold for our discussion this evening. You're getting um, Magillas being passed. Could you just keep that going? Thank you so much. Amazing. Okay, uh, I'm giving you just the first couple of chapters of Magilla Esther. Because as you know, in a few weeks' time, we shall be celebrating the Jewish holiday of Purim. And this is the most misunderstood holiday that exists. Everyone seems to celebrate it, everyone gets dressed up, they don't know why they're getting dressed up, everyone's getting drunk, they don't know why they're getting, actually, they know why they're getting drunk, but everyone's partying having a good time, and yet no one seems to fully understand how important this holiday is. It's so important, God bless you, it's so important that I would say, I would say that, actually I'm going to say it, the Arizal says it, when he mentions the connection between Purim and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means Yom a day, cur like poor, like Purim, but not as good. Purim is going to far surpass, potentially, the impact of Yom Kippur. Put your hands up if you prefer Purim to Yom Kippur. That's right. If I had my way, I'd ban Yom Kippur. I don't have that power or authority. I'll do a lot more Purim. I think we brought more Jews to Purim than we did Yom Kippur, and we more chance we'll see them the rest of the year. But that's another discussion for another time if Jackie allows me to come back uh, to discuss that. Let's dig a little bit, because Megillah Esther, which is the scroll, Megillah is a scroll of Esther, is what we read on Purim. There are themes that are inside this book which are so important that Maimonides, the Rambam says, that when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, the other books, the other prophets that we have, trust me, it's an unusual statement to make. But the Ramam says it very clearly in the laws of Megillah, Esther. He says that when Mashiach and the Messiah comes, the other books and all the other prophets are going to be kind of irrelevant because they are all about how we're going to get to that point. But Megillah, Esther, and Purim are going to exist. And here's the good news. Maybe even Yom Kippur will not be a day as we know it. It'll be no more fasting. Why is the discussion? The nature of sin is going to change. But this story, and this is messianic, and is going to keep on going. So there's things encoded in this book which can reveal so much to us about ourselves, about the Jewish people, about Jewish history. Are you ready to join me on a journey into this book? And we're going to pull out various themes. One quick question before we begin. Why is this book different from all other books in scriptures? It's not a Pesach question. That's why it's not one of the nights. But why is this book different from all other books in scripture? There's one difference which every other book has a certain feature to it, and this book it does not. Besides representing the Bragamoff and Jackie, can anyone else tell me what that is? Yes. It doesn't mention It does not mention God's name. That's absolutely great. Very unusual. Usually God is very centrally featured inside all our books. We Jews are pretty God-obsessed when it comes to, you know, uh, Judaism, religion, life, and halakha, and scripture. Here, God's name is not mentioned at all. The job that we have to have in terms of this book, and as I mentioned, towards the end of days, this book is going to replay itself to some degree. That's what the commentators tell us. We're going to have a similar problem of God being hidden as well. And the job that we're going to have is to dig a little bit deep to try to find God operating behind the scenes and pulling the strings of Jewish history. Are we all together? Any questions so far? Does everyone understand my accent? Because it's very strong New Jersey. I understand it's difficult for you. I can make it more Long Island if you wish. Let us begin with the first few words. We'll go as far as we can. Uh, I have till 8 p.m. And then I have a social life. Let's have a look at the beginning. It was the days of Ahashverosh. Uh, by the way, the word Vayihibimei says the Talmud, whenever he hears words together, something not good is about to happen. That's a code word, Vayimei, in the days of. Why is not for now? Interesting combination of letters. But that's, we know from the opening stanza, that things are going to be cooking and not so good for the Jewish people. Achashverosh, who is he? Not all at once. He was the king of Persia. Persia. Persia right. Um, was he of royal blood? 
Anyone know how he got his job? Did he apply? Was there like a, a resume sent in? So the answer is he was not actually. He was a military leader. Think of him as a dictator. The word Achashverosh is not his name. Different interpretation of the Achashverosh comes from. One is Achrosh. Ach means a brother. Rosh means a head. He was the head of another brother of his. There were brothers in arms. Who's it referring to? It's referring to his two predecessors, two other also classic megalomaniacs, one called Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the first temple, right? And after him came Balshatsar, who took over from Nebuchadnezzar, then comes along Achashverosh. He was like them. And the other interpretation is the Mamloes, which is one of the great commentaries, actually one of the best commentaries you've got in the Megillah, which I've become obsessed with. And he says it's Ach is Ach. Rosh means in the head. He gave the Jewish people a headache. He kept changing his decrees and kept annoying us. And he gave us an Ach Barosh. That's another interpretation of the names. Names are going to play a very central feature in this entire story. So that's where we begin. The dates of Achshverosh. Who Achshverosh had Molech Modwar Kush. He rules from India to Kush. Ethiopia, possibly. There's a discussion, actually, that Ethiopia and India are not too far apart from each other. The Rav and Shemol of the Talmud actually say that one opinion was that there were 127 provinces that ruled over from there to there. And the other opinion is no. From there, all the way to there. He had lands all over the world that he controlled. And there were Jews, potentially, in many of them. 127. Does that number ring a bell in any of your heads? Numbers also play a very big role. One, two, seven. One, two, seven. One second. Someone lived 127 years. Sarah Emanu. Yes, Sarah, right? Sarah lived for 127 years. What's that about? So I'll tell you very quickly. Rabbi Akiva, the great scholar, was giving a class. And some of his students were falling asleep, which makes me feel so much better, by the way. Isn't that great? I'm like, oh, if they fell asleep in Rabbi Akiva's class, I shouldn't mind if they fall asleep. might say snore. No, I, don't, I can't take that. Right, so he had some students falling asleep, and he turned around to them and he said, let me ask you a question. In what merit did Esther have to rule over 107 provinces? You know, she's going to marry out of marriage. Don't ruin the story or anything. In what merit did she have to rule over these lands? And I'll tell you why. Because her great, 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 great grandmother, Sarah, lived to 127 years. What's the connection? So he says it's the value of time. If you see every year like a country, you see every month like a town, you see every day like a village, and you put the same importance in space as you do in time, because you put a lot of emphasis on space and place and buying things, right? But time is just as important. That's what you get. So Sarah was very, very muppet. She was very, very careful to take care of time and never missed her years. And because of that, her great, 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 great granddaughter, Esther, got to rule over 127 provinces. And we all together so far. Say yes, Rabbi. Yes, Rabbi. Fantastic. <laughs> what happens next? So Achashverosh is, we're just going to do the first part inside of what we'll do, we're going to jump around a little bit. He is sitting on his throne in Shushan Habira. Where is Shushan Habira? Anyone know where it is today, by the way? Where is it taking place? Persia, that's right. And the capital of Persia is? Great Neck. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not? I don't, oh, I thought it was. I didn't realize that. That's right. It was Shushan. In modern day, actually, history, it's, it's Hamadan, which is where the kever of Mordechai and Esther and the burial of each other is still there. Are you Persian? No. Oh, sorry, Iraqi. Still, Iraqi. You're Persian. I am Persian. We're not still at war anymore. The whole Iran <laughs> war, it's over. I'm over it, you know what I'm saying? But how's Bukhari in those days? Look, look at me. Do I look like I'm from Poland? <laughs> what was that? My name is Hadjioff, and I'm Harry. And I, I have trouble getting through LL security. What else do you need to know about me? We have a lot of Okay. Says, says Megillah. Now, watch very carefully. Look at this. We're in verse 3. Bishnas Shalosh Lamalko Aslam Mishnah is the third year of his reign. Okay? Lachol Sarov Avadav, he does this big, big. Why in the third year? Why in the third year is he doing this? This is when he's Shepherd Hamel. The king is now sitting on his throne in the third year. What's happened? This is very important information. Very important. The Talmud spends a Talmud in the Gila, spends a lot of time describing this. 
check this out. Where are we historically when this story happens? We are between the destruction of the first temple and the rebuilding of the second temple. Okay? How long is that time period? Does anyone know in years? 70 years. Jeremiah the prophet told the Jewish people they would be in exile for 70 years. Now here's the problem. They didn't know when to start the clock on those 70 years. And if you don't know when to start the clock, you don't know when to stop the clock. And the Talmud, fascinating enough, says loads of people, including non-Jews, including Akashverosh, including Vashti, including Balshatzar, all these people and Jews among them, tried to figure out when this 70 year period was going to begin and end. There were differences of opinions. Akashverosh had his own calculation. What's really interesting is that his calculation happened to end Without this information, the whole Megillah makes no sense. Happened to end in the third year of his reign. So now in the third year of his reign, as far as he's concerned, it's the end of the 70 years. So what's going through his head? One second, my darling. What's going through his head? The 70 years are over. Where are the Jews? Where are the Jews? They're still there. So what's he thinking? They're not going back. What else is he thinking? I'm safe. Now he's, as the Megillah says, Shevtamelech is finally on his throne. He feels secure. Okay? There's all these Jews going back and rebuilding their temple. So what does he do? How is he going to celebrate this? He's going to throw a party. Let's have a look, because this is a party which was spectacular. And it occurs in the third year, because that's when Achishverosh calculated the end of the 70 years which Jeremiah the prophet had told was going to happen. Are you all following? You had a question? That was actually my question. What? Like how he knew 70 years. He calculated from a certain point. The Gemara goes through, I haven't got time now, one day, but he calculated from a certain point. It was at the beginning, the first one to get kicked out was the destruction. There were various points you could start the clock at. He had his particular, and he was wrong by the way. That's the point. He was wrong. He was off by, I think, 17 years or so. The whole Megillah is going to take us many years to get through. Okay, let's look at this great party which he threw, which all the Jews went to and had a great time. We like parties, don't we? Absolutely. So he invites everyone. He does it. Why? Baharot, look at verse 4. Baharot, as Osher, Kavod, Malchuto. He wants to show his great wealth. I said in Hebrew because the Hebrew words are very, very important. These Hebrew words are found somewhere else. I'll tell you where it is in the Torah. In relation to certain objects. I'll say that again. The words that describe this party, which lasted for 180 days, that's a six month party. Imagine that. Wow. I don't think even like college fraternity houses <laughs> could even stomach a six-month party. After two months, they're all completely gone. But six months, how long lasted for? And it describes this party using unusual words, which are used elsewhere. We Jews are okay about. We're very interested in seeing words, same words being used, because then we can relate certain episodes. Here, we're relating objects. Do you know what objects we're relating? I'll tell you. The objects that we used in the temple, okay? including the clothing of the high priest. Ahasuerus, based upon these words that are used to describe the contents of the temple in Jerusalem, which his predecessors had destroyed, ransacked, looted, the next dictator grabs the stuff, then the dictator after that, Ahasuerus, grabs that stuff too. He then gets dressed up in the clothing of the high priest. How many items of the clothes did the high priest wear? Eight. Eight, the regular priest, four items. High priest, eight. There is a painting by Rembrandt of Balshatsar, the predecessor of Ahasuerus. Look at it online, beautiful painting, where there's writing on the wall. You know the expression writing on the wall? It comes from the Sefer of Daniel, the book of Daniel. And describe what happened right before this. Actually, Daniel is going to take on a role here as well. The name Daniel does not appear. He's known as something else for another reason. But the writing is put on the wall. That's Belshazzar. If you look at that painting of Rembrandt, Belshazzar is wearing the high priest's clothing. Now, Shvera takes that clothing and he puts it on and he throws a very big party. Why does he dress up? It wasn't a costume party. 
You can tell me. Why is Jephthah the high priest? What's he saying? What message is he giving the Jewish people? Who he's, as we're going to see, inviting. They're done. I'm the new high priest. You're not going back to Israel. The whole Jerusalem thing. Seventy years are done. It's the third year of my reign. I calculated it. I am your high priest. It's all over. Forget your dreams of Israel and your second temple. Come on. That's so 3338 or whatever. Okay. So that's what he's done. Not only that, he decorates his palace with implements and clothings and silver and gold that were ransacked from the temple. Now it has the party in a different perspective. Because all the Jews are turning up and they're looking around and they seem dressed up the high priest and seeing all this stuff around and what are they thinking? Let's party? Ouch. That's a big diss. They attended the party of Achishverosh that had all this stuff there. Now we know it's such a big deal to turn up. That's a chutzpah, no? One person didn't all get there. By the way, it used to be that the parties in those days were so wild they would force people to drink, get inebriated, some would pass out, some would even die from the experience. However, the Megillah tells us, not so with this party. In this party, everything is kadat, it's all kosher, and ain ones, no one's forced to drink. Jews don't drink, right? You go to a Jewish wedding, the bar, empty. Food, you put your hand in there, you get a fork in there, right? Stab right in the middle. Jewish people, they got a non-Jewish wedding, the bar's full, and there's no food, right? It's like maybe someone has a bit of shrimp, and that's about it, you know what I'm saying? So, same thing over here. The food was all kosher, kadat, the gillet says itself. And Ada, no one's forced to drink. You Jews can come, don't worry about it, they're drunk. I'm here. Why is he doing this? Because he wants the Jews to stay. He wants to feel comfortable. And think of him as a crazy, egotistical, megalomaniac, paranoid, very important word. His paranoia is going to come out. Okay, and Esther's going to play upon his complete paranoia during the story. And you're safe with me. Right? You want to keep your friends close and your enemies closer? That's what he's doing right now. Now later on, he's going to try to wipe them out. But not right now. He's everyone's friend. That's how every dictator begins that way. You know what I'm saying? I'm your friend, and then that's what he's doing. This is North Korea in the making. Okay? Are we all following? He throws a big party, and all the things are there. Verse 9, Gam Vashti Amalka. Now, who is this woman Vashti? Let me be very, very clear with you. Don't feel sorry for her. She was a disgusting woman. Shall I make you hate her? It'll be my absolute pleasure. I'm just going to make you hate her as well, a little bit later as well. Uh, Vashti did come from royal blood. Very important information. She was a, a daughter or granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So she came from royalty. He grabbed her, right? She may have taken it voluntarily just to, you know, keep some form of power in order to consolidate his power because you marry royal. He's not from royalty, he's a bum, right? And military leaders works his way up. But he's taken her to consolidate and bring himself uh, forward. You with me? Now the next part of the story will make a lot more sense. What does he do? She throws her own party just for women. Now, and I used to read this as a kid, by the way, there's a lot of things I didn't understand, right? The PG version, right? We'll talk about that in a few moments. But anyway, so she throws it. Now I thought, oh, what a religious woman. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's the men's program, and then they're sold. You see that? And then this Ashverish guy, he's like, come down here. I'm not coming to dance with you, right? I'm, I'm very, very. Make no mistake, she didn't have any problems parading herself. We're going to see actually in a moment, he wanted to come in her royal crown. So the commentators, only her royal crown, and she didn't have any problem doing that. But she did throw her own party. Why? Think. Why would she throw her own party? It's a power struggle. There's a power struggle happening between, this is absolutely fascinating, between Achishverosh and Vashti. And listen to how it plays out. This is unbelievable. He says, Bring me, it's on the seventh date. Now, important why, that's the only day mentioned in the whole Megillah, I believe. I'll come back to why that day is important, remind me. But this all happens on the seventh day. He's feeling good, he's wasted. He says to his advisors, Bring me Vashti Amalka. Okay, she's having another party by herself with her girls. Party, girls, party, yeah. 
she turns around and says, she says, Hamalka Vashti says no. Did you get that? Did you get that? So I just did that. He says, bring me Vashti Hamalka. She sends back a messenger and says, you tell him that Hamalka Vashti is not coming. It's flipped. He refers to her as Vashti, the queen. She says, you tell him, Queen Vashti is not coming. What's the difference? What's better? Queen, you don't have royalty here. Well, you have the Clintons, but, right? What's in between Queen Elizabeth or Elizabeth Queen? That's our queen name, right? The second. What's the difference? Which is better? Queen Elizabeth or Elizabeth the Queen? Queen Elizabeth, you put the title first, right? It's like, Vashti. Okay, she's a queen. She's like, no, 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 I'm Queen Vashti. And their conversation between each other, actually you see the names flip over. Boop, 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 boop. She's making a point. I come from royalty. You throw your party, I throw my own party. Now, why did she refuse? Ah, there's different midrashim. She had some kind of strange skin diseases that came upon her. She didn't have a problem doing it, but she wanted it on her terms. That's how she wanted it, and she wasn't getting it. Okay, here comes the worst part. Why did this happen on the seventh day? What's the seventh day, by the way? Shabbos. Shabbos. Why did you know this happened on Shabbos? I'll tell you why. Vashti used to take Jewish women, strip them naked, beat them, and make them work on Shabbos. Why she did that is obviously to demean them, but why on Shabbos, oh, this is a fascinating topic in and of itself for another time, she knew a very important secret, which is very true, and that is if Jewish people keep Shabbat, they are able to defend themselves. Shabbos has the power to protect the Jewish people. That's the short version, that's the punchline of a much bigger discussion. She was aware of that. However, it didn't work because she forced them. So it wasn't going to work, but she knew that information. One theme of the Megillah is measure for measure. In Hebrew, mida. Keneged Mida. She made do that on the seventh day. Hashem says, I'm going to kill on the seventh day. And he ends up killing her. Okay? So she gets her just desserts. Don't feel sorry for her. Now, when I was a kid, Achashverosh was this, like, big, fat king on the throne, right? His crowns on the side of the throne. Ooh, I'm Achashverosh. I'm over He was a very smart, very cunning, paranoid megalomaniac. Okay? And right now, you're not very impartial to him. I'm going to prove to you, first of all, he was disgusting, and two, he hated the Jews just as much, if not more, than Haman. Say boo. Okay. So he, what does he decide to do? He takes advice, particularly from Haman, say boo, and he kills her. Now, he felt okay killing her at the beginning. He regrets a little bit later, but... He felt secure in his throne. He didn't really need her anymore. But every great king needs a queen. Now you're going to hate him. How does he select a queen? Now, when I was a kid, the PG version, they still have PG? Is there anything lower than PG? G. Right. The G version, which I got as a kid was, he got a bunch of women to line up and said, this one's toes too big, and this one's too... Did you ever this one? This one's a kid. This one's toes too small. That's not what happened. <laughs> I wish it was, but it wasn't. What he did was the following. He basically went around, took his um, officers, went around the streets, grabbed women, and they were dragged to his palace. Many women, the Midrash tells us actually, were willing to actually give themselves up, right, for the possibility of marrying the king. It was like a, you know, a lottery. It was a crapshoot, basically. And that's what he was willing to do. He would make them live for one year in his personal private harem. Why a year? He wanted to see if they were beautiful through all four seasons. Right? Because you have someone look good in the summer, some look good in the winter, some look good in the spring, right? some look good in the fall. He wanted to make sure they look good right through, so he would actually anoint them in the different seasons. It's like, um, I don't know, Abercrombie and Fitch. Right? They have the blondes in the summer working over there, and the brunettes of the winter. And then in the summer, right, the brunettes end up suing, right? and then in the winter, this is true by the way, they look this up. And in the, absolutely. And if you walk in, first of all, I can't walk in that place. I'm like, my daughter, I want to buy a sweater over there. I walk in, first of all, it stinks. Right? You can't see a, a, a darn thing because it's so dark in there. The music's going, right? the lights are off. I, I, I go, excuse me, is this a medium? I can't even see. Right? My nose is being like, this stuff is like burning inside my nose. Terrible place to visit. Terrible. Oh, God. I won't walk in there again. Um, Holliston's okay, but no, I'm joking. So it's just, okay. 
So that's what is going on. One of the people who ended up being in this, oh, so you, you hate him, right? Oh, by the way, at the end of the year, at some point, he raped them, okay? And after that, they went to a second harem where they weren't allowed to leave for the rest of their lives. Oh, now you hate him, right? He's a real dictator. Why did he do that? You can have some woman knocking around and say, yeah, yesterday I was with the king and today I'm married to, uh, you know, Joe Muhammad or something. I don't know what they're called back in those days. Right? Uh, probably not. But uh, you can't do that. So basically they had to stay prisoners to him for the rest of their lives. Hate him now? Oh, thank goodness. I got the oh. Okay. So that's where we are. He gives us the advice. And who gets picked up? What's her name? What's her name? No, that's not her name. That's how we know her. What's her real name? Let me go tell us. Hadassah. Hadassah. That's her real name. Now the name Hadassah, actually, you know what a Hadassim, anybody know? It's the singular of Hadassim. What a Hadassim? Is that a plant? Very good, good. But when do we use this plant? Passover? No, nope, not Passover. Do they use No, that's hyssop. Oh. Okay. This is myrtle. Where do we use the myrtle? On Sukkot, on Sukkot, right? We have the Arab Minim, one of the four species. It's a very green, beautiful color. And they say that she had a beautiful olive green complexion. Or she was so frightened of marrying this Meshuggah, she turned green in fright. It's two different opinions. How old was Hadassah, or Esther, she's gonna be known obviously. How old was she when this whole episode began? So I always saw her as, you know, she's a young girl. I don't know, 12, 15, 20, who knows? You know what I'm saying? It's the, it's the Middle East, right? It's like the Wild West over there, you know? Especially back then. Not so weird, actually. My grandmother was married at uh, 13. Wait, how old was your grandmother you got married? 16. 16, oh, on the shelf. Oh, I'm being serious. How old was her husband? How old was he? 38. 38? Oh, that's, that's Syrian. That's not, uh, that's, that's Persian, that's not Iraqi. Oh my God. Wow, that's, there's, I mean, there's laws against that. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I think my grandfather was 18. Oh. And they were happy. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Both dead now, who knows? Know. <laughs> anyway, back to our story over here. Yeah. Um, so, how old was she? How old was Esther? Let's go, we got what to do. How old was Esther? So, I young. So, doing it, something she was 20 or something, 30, something 40, 50, maybe even 60. Different opinions, right? I thought there's a movie. I probably don't made a movie this yet. There was a movie. I haven't Spielberg done a movie. That, if there was a movie. I would say it's less Scarlett Johansson, more Meryl Streep. I think. Great. Okay. So she's gone, and Esther gets the job. That's the second chapter, and she finds herself in the. Okay, let's meet the other protagonist. Oh, by the way, just a quick side point. The Torah, the Gemara asks a very unusual question, a very famous question. Esther, the Torah, Menayim. Where is Esther in the Torah? When it says Torah, it's the five books of Moses. That's the question. Where is Esther in the Torah? That's a very strange question. Would someone like to tell me why? She doesn't exist. This is many years later. It's after the first temple is destroyed. So what is the Gemara asking us? She's definitely hidden, but what does that even mean? Where is a reference to her name, and therefore a prophecy of the story that's about to happen contained? That's what it's asking. It's going to ask it about her. It's going to ask it about Mordechai. It's going to even ask it about Haman, okay? Because Haman's in the Torah, as is Mordechai. But let's stick on with Esther. So it's actually found in the book of Deuteronomy, at the end of the Torah. And by the way, the, you know the five books of Moses. What are the five books of Moses? Why do we call it the five books of Moses? It's interesting. It's the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? There's books of prophets. The prophecy of Moses are these five books. There's Isaiah the prophet, he's got his book. There's Achim the prophet, it's his book, right? There's, so we have lots of prophets, right? So this is the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moses is about to die, and he speaks to the Jewish people, and he says, I'm telling you something's going to happen. In the future, at some point, and he's speaking to us, because the people we're speaking to were dead, obviously, when this occurred. He said, in the future, God is going to become upset with the Jewish people. Why is it a discussion? And he's going to hastir astir panai. Hastir astir. When the same word appears twice together, it's emphatic. It's like really, really. Okay? It's like the, um, a dum dum. A dom is red. A dum dum is very red. Right? Yarok is green. Yarokrok is very green. Right? So here, hastir astir. I shall surely hide my face. 
That's what God says. Says the Gemara, you found her. There's going to be a time in Jewish history where God's going to hide his face. How do we see that? God's not mentioned in the Megillah. You could read the entire Megillah and say, what a nice story. God's nothing to do with it. Happens to be Ashberish ends up taking the leadership. Happens to be the Maritopashti. Happens to be Esther gets chosen. Happens to be, there's a lot of happens to be that goes right through. Our job is to look for the Nisim, the miracles, which are Nistar, Esther, hidden. God is hidden. One of the reasons we dress up, because we hide under the clothing on Purim. Okay? The clothing thing is another theme which goes right through. There's many references to clothing, and it's all for this particular reason, right? That we hide ourselves because we understand that God has hidden himself inside the story. Really seeing clothing mentioned a little bit. Okay, what happens next? Lovely ladies. Esther is brought to the harem. She is there against her will. Some say she gave up willingly. She realized Mordechai told her, her cousin, Right. Some say actually she was married to him, that she had this mission. The fact she was chosen was a definite that she was meant to do something very, very, very big. Okay. Something happens along the way. Mordechai overhears two people having a conversation to assassinate Ahasuerus. Right. Their names are Bigsan and Teresh. Bigsan and Teresh. These two people speak in a language which they thought Mordechai did not understand. He did understand because actually part of the Anshayk and of the Great Assembly, where they had to learn many languages because they had to adjudicate Jewish laws in different countries and for different Jews and for different places. So they learned these languages. He knew, he understood, he overheard them. He tells Esther, who tells Ahasuerush. He's now owed one for saving Ahasuerush's life. By the way, who are these guys? Who are they? Why were they trying to kill him? They actually did work for Ahasuerus and they wanted to assassinate him because they were treated very badly by him. Many times, dictators are in most danger from the people who work very close to them because they have access to them. That's basically what happened over here and that's where we are. By the way, we missed out something very important. The story is called... The story is called... The holiday is called... Purim. Yeah. Purim, thanks so much. Purim, what does what Purim even mean? What does Purim even mean? What's a poor usual? It means a lottery. Lottery. A holiday called a lottery. Enter, scene left, Haman. Now, Haman is a very important character as well. Okay? Oh, you know what? I missed that one thing. Mordechai. Back to Mordechai, we'll do Haman. Mordechai is actually the first person who is called a Jew. Right? Yehudi. Up to that point, only people from Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, were called Yehudim. He's the first person, not from the tribe of Yehuda, he came from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was called Yehudi. Okay? An interesting piece of information, we're going to come back to that. Okay? He was a very special person, he was a leader, a member of the Great Assembly, and a prophet. Now, back to Haman. Haman starts to get built up from Ahasuerus. Haman turns around and starts to slander the Jews. I don't think you have this in your notes right now. He says, you know what? There is a group who's living among you who are mfuzar umfurad, two key words, which means they're very spread out and they're different. Meaning, they don't dress like us, they don't talk like us, they don't eat like us, they don't party like us, they are just different. What do I want to do? Let's wipe them out. Why is Haman so obsessed with wiping out the Jewish people? Two things, two very important things. One of them was applicable then, and one is still applicable now. Number one, Mordechai wouldn't bow down to him. He basically moves up the ranks, second to Ahasuerus. Mordechai won't bow down to him. Everyone else is willing to, Mordechai isn't. This infuriates him. He thinks the reason is because everyone saw him as a god. He blames Mordechai, but he also blames Judaism. So wipe out all the Jews. That's the reason back then. But there's a bigger reason. Does anyone know where Haman's ancestry comes from? Yes. Yeah, go on. Amalek. How do we know? That's actually mentioned in Megillah. I'll tell you. He is referred to in Megillah as Ha'agagi, the Agagite. The Agagite. What's that? That means his great, 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 great grandfather, his name was Agag. 
Who was Agag? Agag was the king of a nation called Amalek. Amalek of a nation who has been a thorn in the side of the Jewish people for thousands of years. Now, there have been many nations that want to hurt us. They want to take our land. They may want to kill us. They got money. The Amalekites illogically, it's a very important word, illogically want to wipe us out. It's pretty unanimous that the Nazis had among them, they're not really a nation anymore, but there, there is a thread of them in different places in the world. One of the, the, the modern day rabbis, I've spoken to various rabbis about this, whenever you see the following trait, you know you're dealing with the zero of the seed of Amalek. And that is, they want to kill us for no good reason except that we're Jewish. They don't care about our money, they don't care about our land, there's nothing we do to appease them. They just want to kill us, knowing full well that they're gonna die in the process. We see this very clearly after the Jewish people leave Egypt in the Jewish year 2448. The first nation to come out and attack us was Amalek. And there was a battle that happened. They knew they were gonna lose. They understood that. They knew they were outnumbered. The Jewish people were on a high. We just left Egypt, we've had the miracles, right? The sea space is all fantastic. And these guys come and, come and attack us. It made no sense. The Nazis were fighting wars all over. There was a world war on every front. They needed equipment, they needed soldiers, and yet they put time, resources, money into schlepping a bunch of Jews to be killed. It made no sense. That, ladies, is a trait of a Malik, which is why many modern-day scholars will look for references and hints and codes, but I think they don't need to. It's very clear. That is the raison d'etre of these people. He is a descendant of those people. So now, he also happens to be extremely wealthy. So now we've got a problem. We've got a guy who's extremely wealthy, who wants to kill us, and who has the ear of the leader of the unfree world at that time, Ahasuerus. He approaches Ahasuerus and says to them, we have this nation, they're spread out, they're not like us, let me wipe them out. Now, Ahasuerus, the following metaphor is used in the Talmud. They say, imagine a guy who's got a big pile of dirt in his field. And the guy in the field next door has a big hole. So the guy with a hole approaches the guy in the field with a big mound. This is the Gomorrah's metaphor, not mine. It's an interesting one, though. And says, I'll buy your dirt to fill up my hole. What does the dude with the dirt say? Buy your hole. Buy, he's not a bike, I'll buy a hole. He's like, you don't have to pay me. I'll pay you to take my dirt away. You have to pay me. You're doing me a favor. That's the mashal, the metaphor. The nimshal, what you learn out from it, is the following. Achashverosh had dirt. That's us, the Jewish people. Haman had a big hole. He wanted to fill it up with us, dead, and not literally, but wipe us out. He said to Achashverosh, and he says in the Megillah, I will pay you anything it costs to wipe out these people. To send out the messengers, to get it organized, to get the camps going, whatever you need. He says, pay me? You have to pay me? Take the dirt and fill up yourself. And then he does something unbelievable. He takes his ring off his finger and he gives it to Haman. Now, when I saw this kid, I'm like, what's he doing that for? Like, here, we're best friends. It's like my daughters, you know, they have like matching necklaces and matching stuff like that. No. The ring was a signet ring. It used to be in the old days. They would put wax on envelopes and they would seal it with the stamp. Basically, he gave him full authority to do whatever he wanted. The Talmud says, just that act of Ahasuerus taking off his ring and giving it to Haman had more impact on the Jewish people of that day than all the prophets all together right through Jewish history. What was the job of a prophet? To inspire and to get people to repent, right? That was nothing compared to this one small act. Basically, they freaked out. And that's what Megillah tells us. It says, as soon as that happened, they were totally bewildered by what was transpiring before them. Okay. I don't have too much time. There's one, two more things I want to mention, and then we'll wrap up. Esther, the favorite part of the Megillah happens, my favorite part of the Megillah, I should say, happens when it gets to a point where Mordechai, which is soon after this event, says, Esther, you've got to go 
and tell Ahasuerus who you are. Right now. She freaks out. I can't do it. Why not? Because in order to see the king, you need 30 days prior warning. That's anybody, even his wife. I tried this in my house. <laughs> I said, why can't we follow up everyone? If you want to speak to me, put a thing. I'll see you in 30 days. I'll tell you something, ladies. My limp is almost completely cured. <laughs> Doctor says I'll be walking like normal very, very soon. She freaks out. She basically, in a nutshell, fasts for three days, makes all her maidservants fast for three days, and tells Mordecai to tell the Jews to fast for three days. We can hardly fast for one day. Three days. After three days, she gets up the courage. It tells she puts on her beautiful royal garments. Talmud says that means she was after this fast, and she'd been praying so fervently for these three days that she was covered in royalty. Right? It wasn't even physical clothing that was doing it, just her presence was so powerful. She walks in, he lifts up his scepter, his gold scepter, which is a sign that he accepted her, and she wasn't going to die. So far, so good. He says, whatever you want, even half my kingdom I shall give you. By the way, the other half was Jerusalem. He didn't want to give her control of Jerusalem in case she would end up allowing the Jews to rebuild the temple. That's the half of the kingdom, by the way. So now that she walks in there, what does she do? Anyone remember? She invites him and Haman to a party. Okay? Fine. Let's just jump to that party. It happens soon after. They go to that party. She feeds them. She then invites them to another party. At that party, she's going to reveal that she is Esther, and the story is going to conclude. I never understood what she was doing. Why did she invite them both to two parties? Why can't she just tell me think about that? You remember being like, why two parties? This perplexed me for years, and then someone showed me a Rashi, which I'm not going to show you inside, but I'll explain to you, which will clear the entire thing up. Suffice to say, listen very carefully, what she was doing was absolutely crazy. <laughs> She's not stupid. She actually was concocting a plan which was suicidal. And I'll tell you what it was. You see, when she invites them both to the party, she does it in the singular. Vatome Esther, im alamelach tov, if it's good for the king, yavar melach vahaman, you and Haman come, hayom today, elam mishta to the party, asher siti lo, which I made, lo. What does lo mean? Lamed vav. Lo means, lamed vav is to him. She invites two people. What should it say? Lahem, to them, or for them. To you guys. Why low? Turn over the page. And for the second part, she says, I want to invite you both, Lahem. That, said the commentators, is a hint to what she was up to. What do you think she was trying to do over here? Now remember, all the information I told you. Achashverosh, paranoid megalomaniac. Haman has risen up in power. And she's lifting up higher and higher and higher. What's her plan? She was hinting to Ahasuerus that her and Haman were in a relationship together and really I'm inviting him and we're going to be taking over. Now she couldn't tell him straight out because what would he have done? What would Ahasuerus have done had he known they're having an affair? He would have killed her and he would have killed him. That was the risk she was willing to take. She hinted it, she put it out there, very subtle, and then by the second party, he starts to get it, and by the end, she says it, and by the final scene, Ashraj leaves in a, in a crazy fury, comes back and sees Haman has gone and fallen on her bed to plead with her not to go ahead with it. He sees that, it's all done. That's just the climax to suspicion that she had planted right at the beginning. It worked. It could have been to go to Rana said, you want to go with, I'll kill you both. That was the suicidal mission. And that's why she did three days of fasting, because she was freaking out that she was going to intimate that the second to Ahasuerus, the guy that he lifted up, and her were actually in cahoots, having some kind of dalliance together, and they were going to take over the whole kingdom. They, she brilliantly played into his paranoia. It took some persuading. 
Mordechai said to her, you have to go. She's like, I can't. He says, number one, don't, he said in the Megillah, don't think you're going to get away. When they come for the Jews, they're going to know you're Jewish and you're going to get it too. That's a message for us too. Don't think, ah, it's happening to Jews in Israel. It's happening to Jews in France. It's happening to Jews in Paris. Don't think that we could be safe anywhere, even in the king's palace. We're all open to it. Number one. Number two, he then says, and by the way, if you decide not to go in and do what you're meant to do right now, we'll find someone else. It's a frightening thing. The job's going to get done. God's going to say to the Jewish people, says Mordechai, I'm sure of that. You can be part of that plan, or instead of Esther, we'll have Shoshana, or Barbara, right? And we're going to make Esther, but then we're going to Shoshana, or we're going to Barbara. Finally, and this is the most frightening thing, her entire life came down to this one moment. It makes me shudder. That one decision in life where your life can go this way or can go that way. You know those moments? You look back at your life. Only when you look back, she had that moment. At the time, she wasn't so sure. It's not so clear. But she had that thing that she realized this was the moment. Okay, a few minutes to go. So at the end, you all know what happens. Haman ends up being hung with his ten sons on the gallows at the same time. We have this incredible celebration afterwards. We do a number of mitzvahs. We give gifts to poor people. We give gifts to friends. Read the Megillah, have a very big meal, drink a little bit of alcohol, you're up 21, and we enjoy, have a great time. That is just reflective of the victory. They wanted to kill us physically, so we celebrate physically on Hanukkah, which is like the mirror story to this one, they try to kill us spiritually, so we celebrate spiritually with light, okay? The mitzvot always reflect what's going on. I want to finish with one last thing. Well, two things. One is the word hafuch. Hafuch means upside down. You see, this entire story has a trait that the rabbis tell us is going to be the same trait that happens at the end of days. What's that? It all turns around very quickly. You see, as far as I'm concerned, they were all going to die. Haman made a poor, a lottery, okay, to decide when the Jews were going to be killed. Why use a lottery is an interesting thing. That's what a Amalek are all about. They're all about chance. Right? There is no God. It's all chance. That's what Amalek created. They brought atheism to the world. Idol worship existed beforehand. That's something. But there's much, something much worse than idol worship, and that's there's no God. That's what they created. So, they come forward, and they are about to wipe out the entire Jewish people. Venafel, it all turns around. Yeshua Tashem, Keref Ayan. God's salvation happens in the blink of an eye. They go from complete destruction. She says, I'm Esther. It all turns around in an instant. A very important theme of the Megillah and a very important theme of Jewish history, which will replay itself somehow. It looks like we're all going down. It's going to twist around the last second. So powerful was this event in Jewish history that the words, the Kimu Vakibla Yudim, the Jewish people accepted that which accepted before. I'm about to say something very strange right now, but this is what the Talmud goes into great length about, and it's mentioned in the Megillah. The Jewish people never fully accepted the Torah until this moment. That's what the Megillah hints at, and that's what the Talmud says explicitly. You see, from the time of Mount Sinai, there was a lot of fear that was involved in Judaism. Something changed. Just like events can change societies, uh, like 9-11. One event changes society. Right? And you can have bad events. The Holocaust changed us as a people. State of Israel being created changed us as a people. This is on par, if not greater than that. Up to that point, somehow, we never fully accepted the Torah for a thousand years. And a lot of great things happened in between this time. But there was something missing. This event happened. It changed everything for us. Our relationship to Torah and Judaism totally changed. And we accepted the Torah with a full heart, with a heart of love as opposed to what Mount Sinai did, which was probably a lot of fear. A lot of fear. There was such a change. This was a watershed moment in Jewish history, which probably explains why many things have happened for us over the years, and this particular one became its own holiday that the entire Jewish people keep. Okay? It changed us in such a positive, powerful way. This theme keeps replaying itself, that it even changed our relationship to being Jewish and the Torah itself. That is part of the power of Purim. I'm going to have to stop over there. 
hope we learned something good. Yes. Why did she? Why did she change her name from Hadassah? So she was hidden. She couldn't use a real name. She was Esther. Okay, but um, so Esther means Nistam means hidden. So she hid herself away. No one knew who she was except Mordechai. Even Achshorosh didn't know that she came from Jewish stock. Okay. I guess I assume it was. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the connection made? You were talking about how we know that this story was mentioned in the Torah earlier because of the name. Not the story. The Torah itself hints through names, because names are the underpinning of what people are, that this event was going to happen. So when Moses gave that prophecy of there'll be a time when God is in Pashtunayelech, was a reference to that event in Jewish history. But her name wasn't Esther. Okay, fine. That's what, her, that's what her name became known as, and that's how she's referred to. We refer to her as Esther, as Megillus Esther. Her real name is Hadassah, but that's what she became known as. But then it's an interpretation. What is? The putting, the... She, she's the, referred to as Esther in Megillus as well. The name comes up. Okay. It's just she has different names. The name connotes her mission as does everyone's name. Is that a little bit? Yes. <laughs> the fact that her, that her name is Esther and Megillah as well Yes. makes the connection. Yes. Fantastic. I have to run. Thank you all very, very much. It's wonderful. And uh, you can be in touch with me. You can email me. You can even buy my book. Do you have questions? Available on Amazon.com. Don't just plug that. Fantastic. <laughs> Shameless. Shameless. It's called You Got Questions. You don't have a copy yet? No, no. Copy to you. Please. You know, for you, 10% extra. <laughs> nice to meet you all. Okay, I know Jackie has a few announcements to make, and I just want to make sure that. That's a good hand. Where did you start? Thank you. All right. Um, we have some exciting news from for Salt, and um, there is uh, three things I want to I want to let you know about. One is this thing called Get a Soul Sister. You heard about it? Get a soul sister. So it's basically for. Bye. Bye. Thank you. It's basically for um, any new girl who's coming to soul, who's relatively new, who doesn't really know families or wants to do Shabbat in Manhattan, wants to get to know other girls. Um, soul girls who've been around for a while who would do Shabbat regularly in Manhattan have kindly offered and really excited about um, like adopting one of you for a Shabbat and like taking you with them to wherever they do whatever wherever they're going. It's such a cute idea, and we have a whole list. Like I have like. I would say at least 10 to 12 soul girls who, um, who do this regularly, who are awesome, put together, great girls. And uh, we already have five matches. Like there's already five, five couples kind of going on different dates and stuff like that. And they're like just sleeping at their house and they're setting them up for sleeping and eating with them wherever they're going. Some are going to events and some are going to families and it's really cool. So it's actually on the website. If you go to the website and click on Shabbat, um, there's two things there. One is the Shabbaton that's coming up in March, on March 20th. We're doing actually a big group Shabbaton. More than welcome to come. It'll be awesome in Far Rockaway. Um, we got a great families. It's really fun. Rabbi Marcus is flying in from Israel, and he does like the mystical al alphabet and different, uh, we might do some different topics because some of you have heard him. And then under that, you said if there's a thing where you can sign up to get a salt sister, you put in your name and it comes to me, the email, and I'll be in touch with you and match you with someone. And then you guys will choose whichever date works for you. So you don't have to commit like to a specific date when you sign up. So that's really cool and I'm really excited because I think it means that you guys have a better experience just in Manhattan and with Shabbats and you guys get out there much more than we could even place you, you know, because the girls know, you know, where to go. That's number one. Number two was the Shabbaton, which we mentioned, March 20th, Bar Rockaway, which would be awesome. <coughs> number three, um, actually there's four things, wow, there's a lot of things. There's a new thing we're starting called Soul Society. I don't know if all of you are in the closed soul group, um, but I posted this just this week. There, um, we feel like we want to do more fun things with each other. And so what um, we thought we'd do is have like a points, literally like points, you know, like LL points. <laughs> like literally, so the more things you come to, the more you'll accrue points. And if you hit 120 points in a three month period, coming to different things, not just classes, it could be the Shabbaton, it could be the Get a Soul Sister, it could be um, 
could be what else do we have here? Bring a friend to a ship, bring a friend to sold, you'll get points. Um, going, we've got volunteer tracks starting as well, selflessly sold. So we're going to go to help uh, to visit the elderly in March. So all of this is on the website. I'll be posting it through the Soul Group. But basically, there's all these points. And if you get 120 points over three months, we're going to go to Lama Ray for dinner. We're going to get our nails done at Spa yeah. Castle. We're going to go ice skating. Like we're going to do fun things. Really, on us, on Soul. Like we're going to pay for it. Like we're going out as a treat, you know. So these are the people, I guess, who really are kind of investing in being a part of a community. So we called it Beyond the Class, Join the Community, so to speak, yeah. rather than just drop in once and now and then. And then we'll, we can create, I don't know, really good friendships happen and it's really fun and anyway, so that's really cool. Um, so uh, as I said, to also volunteering is starting up again. We did it last year a little bit and people loved it. Um, one Sunday, we're gonna do that four Sundays over the year, five Sundays over the year, doing different things, hopefully visiting uh, sick kids and elderly and things like that. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention was body and soul, huh? Oh yeah, that's another thing. Wow. Well, it's connected. Yeah, it's connected to this. Um, I'll mention Body and Soul first. Body and Soul was Eileen is a soul girl, and she has started up her own cardio kickbox classes, which with a live DJ. So it's a really cool idea, and we thought this is so awesome. Let's do it monthly for soul girls to also come and, and work out together, like real. We're talking like like cardio kickbox, <laughs> like you know, like like that, and um, and with live DJ. So the DJ comes with her whole waka waka thing, whatever, and, um, and <laughs> it's really fun, right? Apparently, and um, and I'm gonna do it too. And we're gonna work out, and then afterwards have smoothies and salads, and like I'll share a bit of an inspiring idea. But it's not a class; it'll just be like an inspi inspi inspirational kind of schmooze. Um, we hang out with each other, have smoothies, salads, healthy food. So that's starting March 8. It's coming up in like one month. So you have to sign up for that too. That's $22 um, cost to cover all those things. Um, but it, that'll be really fun. And the last thing that is if you, it's open to all sold girls, but I also wanted to get a vote from you guys that we just got approval two nights ago to take sold girls to the Hamptons for in the summer for a weekend, like either for a week, a whole week, and then whoever can come for the week comes for a week, or the, who, those that can't can come for the Shabbat, Shabbat and the weekend. So we're gonna like rent a huge, beautiful house and have a pool and like make it really, like really, really special and uh, bring down some amazing, amazing like top teachers and like so do a blend of like learning Shabbat and like pool and hanging out and like it'll be really cool. So what I so I, I don't know, I'm really excited by that. Um, so what I wanted to, and also so that's gonna be a certain subsidized cost, but if you do I think two sold cycles of these, you know, over the six months before summer. So then uh, you go to like a half price. The Hamptons will be like half price or something. It'll be a big discount. We haven't worked out the numbers, but it'll be, again, some, there'll be some incentive that if you want to invest. Um, so my question to you is, what works for you guys? I you know you're all working. So as far as just, even if you don't know for sure if you can come, in general, I want to put out there, like is a July 4th weekend something that's like crazy because everyone's for sure going home? Or is it something good because you would have time off work an extra day and you'd be able to come for longer? or is you know coming for a week a possibility um, or absolutely not like only a weekend you know that kind of thing I just wanted to so can I just get a, just a July 4th weekend a possibility or probably not and even in your opinion of other people that you know better better it's like do you think it's better than like other weekends yeah who thinks it's not better than other weekends only because like a lot of people have like yeah there's no personal friends taken I just really want to know so who thinks it's not better because we haven't booked anything July 4th. It's three people and everyone else doesn't know. I no, think two people think it's better and three people think it's not. And the rest don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, what, what's the likelihood of coming for a week? Not that likely. Not likely. Not likely, hands up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you had one likely over here. One likely. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what, what we're thinking is that even if we can get 10 soul girls, like we have hundreds of people on the database, if we can get 10 soul girls to come for the week and then we'll have 50 for Shabbat, that'd be great. Yeah, right. that's amazing. Right, that'd be amazing. Yeah. It'd still be awesome. So we'll still do that. So I just want to get a feel of it. Um, and uh, yeah, everything's on the website. And we'll post and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And next oh, week, next, next week. week the Chabrushas are starting, the learning one-on-one. -on -one. So if you, um, I'm happy to set up, we have um, great girls that come in and they spend an hour learning whatever it is that you would like to explore. We have a box of books, you know, you can, you can plan for the next time. Oh, after you meet, you know, this is really what I'd like to explore. If you know that, I mean, 
I'm going to have a bunch of ladies here, you know, to learn one-on-one -on -one with everybody. But if you know that if you want to tell me now before you go, oh, I really want to explore this topic, or you know, that I I could be better prepared to match you up properly um, next week. So if you want to let me know on your way out, that would be great. Yeah, it's really awesome. And next week we're starting a brand new series that's going to go for five weeks. Is it five or four? Five weeks. With five weeks on free will. So about how like you make choices as an individual, which voices do you listen to in your head? Like it's a it's very Jewish perspective on free will but in depth. And Ivy Calazan is one of our most favourite voted soul teachers. She's doing the whole series. Tuesday nights here, yeah, see everyone loves her. She's amazing. So we have her for five weeks. If you can't make one of the weeks it's okay, you can keep coming back. But people don't generally want to miss her. She's amazing. And then we're going to have the one-on-one -on -one starting after that where you can, it's an amazing opportunity. You basically have someone with you that you can say, I want to learn whatever I want to learn and someone's there to help you learn it. It's like, it's, it's a really big opportunity. And, um, you know, girls really take advantage of it. So please do. So I hope to see you next also? Yes. Um, this Thursday, I don't know if you guys have heard of Shabbat Social, but it's um, another Jewish, really fun things to get involved with. There's a happy hour this Thursday. I could post in the Facebook group. It's going to be at Raven, and it's just to meet other young professionals mm -hmm. that are Jewish. Mm -hmm. I actually saw that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So I'll they're great. She's a soul girl. All these soul girls are like entrepreneurs. Yeah, like they just all start things. It's amazing. And that's here. Can I make an announcement? Also? <laughs> <laughs> Quick. After, because okay. yeah, yeah. We got because I don't want to hold. Yeah, we'll do it after. Okay. Oh, you want to make an announcement about? I just want to say something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm working with this organization called Fuel for Truth to raise money oh. to prepare and send Michelle final packages to orphans and to children in Israel for Forum. So um, I posted the link on my profile where you can donate. I also posted in the social.